This is my journey, inspired one story at a time. A library of leaders was created. It began as a journey to learn. As time went on, it began to grow. All it needed was a platform, and this podcast was created to listen, to inspire, to share. I am a storyteller, and this is my journey. Welcome to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. I am your host, Steve Anderson, and today's guest is Lynn Robinson. She has a very interesting uh, career track, starting out as a physical therapist and now is the mayor of Bellevue, Washington. She has a great perspective on how becoming a physical therapist and learning how to talk with people and evaluate people and figure out uh, what their issues are and then coming up with solutions for those issues is a great preparation for her stint in politics. We covered a lot of material in this interview today. Uh, both of us are Northwestern University alumni, so we had that in common to talk about. Uh, she also uh, started her own uh, private practice in uh, physical therapy, uh, going into the homes of patients and, and helping them with their physical therapy needs. And then uh, always having that uh, uh, early experience of community service and wanting to do something more for her community. So then ran for um, Bellevue City Council. She was then elected mayor of Bellevue by her fellow council members. And we talk about in this interview, uh, gosh, what what a tough time to be in government trying to figure out what you can do for your communities during this COVID crisis and uh, how can we provide for people that, um, you know, have very different opinions on things and and how do you bring all those people together and uh, still have a positive uh, outcome. It's just so interesting to me that whether you're talking about physical therapy, whether you're talking about business, whether you're talking about politics, when it comes to leadership, communication uh, with your people and leading people to come to a a common good is is really no different. Uh, It's all the same principles and and all the same um, uh, uh, techniques and relationship building that you need in in all three of those uh, Areas And it's just interesting to me to look at someone who started out uh, uh, in one career and kind of ended up in another, uh, not by design uh, at all, but more by just uh, seeking opportunities and wanting to make a difference in the world and going into areas where, um, where she felt that she could be the most effective. Uh, she's got a great reputation as the mayor of Bellevue and has uh, done extremely well. So I'm really excited to talk to uh, one of our own that's in politics now. Uh, you know, we've often heard a lot uh, of people say, you know, why aren't more physical therapists uh, in politics and run for office? And there are some, but uh, there are f- there are really few. So uh, it's great that she is there um, uh, doing what she can to improve the lives of her constituents and to uh, improve our communities uh, as we all want them to be. Welcome to the program today, Lynn. I'm really excited to talk with you today, and I sure hope your family is doing well through this uh, weird year of 2020 that we're all going through. Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm excited to be here. It's nice to be in contact with you again. It's been a while. It has been a while, yes. Uh, I could only imagine how challenging it, it is to be the mayor of a large city in 2020. But before we get into that, let's uh, let's kind of set the foundation. Where did you grow up, and and, uh, did you have early interests in politics or community service? 
I grew up in a small town in the Bay Area, East Bay, and um, I, as I was uh, growing up, my mom was a big believer in charity and volunteer work, and so she didn't do a whole lot of it, but she had her kids do a lot of it. So from an early age, I was volunteering at nursing homes and developmentally disabled schools and um, lots of different things like that. And I've just continued that throughout my life. Yeah, interesting. And so now you uh, went to college and then decided that you wanted to be a physical therapist. So uh, what was your experience like living in the big city of Chicago um, and attending Northwestern University? Well, those were my formative years. (laughs) That was awesome. I I just absolutely loved Chicago. I loved my experience there. I was surrounded by the smartest people I had ever met. Um, Just just a a real dream experience. I feel so lucky to have had the opportunity to go to Northwestern and experience Chicago and the Midwest. And um, it it definitely... um, made me appreciate uh, architecture, uh, the, the friendliness and the neighborliness of the people in that region, and the uh, extreme seasons. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, as uh, our, our listeners may not be aware, I'm a, a Northwestern alumni as well. And uh, so I had that same experience going to Chicago and kind of having a a you know uh, uninformed West Coast attitude about Chicago, thinking oh it's going to be a big city and you know just kind of have to uh, deal with all the the negative things of that. But it wasn't long before I realized how much Chicago is a really great city and and lots to do and and the people are very nice. And my experience there was similar to yours. Mm-hmm. So what did you uh, so you, you get out of PT school and then. Um, uh, when did you decide that you wanted to start your own business? Why was that something that you wanted to do in the physical therapy world? You know, like most things in life, dissatisfaction is the biggest impetus for change. Yeah. <laughs> I got so burned being a staff therapist um, in my first job and then in my third job uh, that I just, I'm so frustrated and I love my profession so much, but I just refused to put up with that. And, um, what settings were those in private practice? Okay. Yeah. And, um, my dad was great. He said, you know, honey, you come from a long line of entrepreneurs. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, my husband was very supportive. He, you know, it was, we had young children and it wasn't a great time to uh, cut the salary. And he said, well, I'll give you a year. And if you can find a way to earn the same amount you were earning in your last job, doing your own business, then we'll keep going, but I'll give you a year to figure it out. And so describe this, the, the practice that you had, what uh, was your patient population and where were you focusing? So I had been in sports medicine quite a bit. And um, then when I got married, I chose to work in home health just to give myself kind of less of a, of a stress load of work that I had there. And um, in home health, I noticed there was a population that was always falling through the cracks at that time. And so those were your Medicare A patients who received home health until they were no longer considered homebound. And then they were expected to go to outpatient PT 
And those patients rarely went to outpatient PT. They usually uh, declined rapidly and were the ones who are always starting to fall, broke a hip, ended up having to leave their home and go into uh, extended care facilities. And it was just happened so regularly that I realized, really, these people need um, Medicare B at-home physical therapy. So I found a way to build that. And um, I started specializing in that population. I never understood why the agencies didn't do Medicare B home health. I knew they could, but it, it just doesn't pay nearly as much as Medicare A did at that time. But I was a sole proprietor. I didn't have any overhead. So that was enough money for me. And I was able to, within six months, generate the same amount of money I was earning um, by working from 10 till uh, 3, this while my kids were in school, that I had been working 10-hour days at the sports med place. Yeah, that's great. And how long did you do that, or do you still do some of that? You know, I stopped doing it three years ago. So I did it for, I think, 20 years. And okay. I always had enough patience uh, it was, and I always felt good about what I was doing. I offered really good care to my patients and, um, it kind of evolved into, uh, working with high end patients because as you know, the reimbursement for Medicare has just gone down, 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 and it became not worth my time to bill. Cause I used to bill myself, do the billing myself. And it's an MS-DOS system if you get the oh, one yeah. from... So oh, you, wow. you have to, like, know programming to do the billing. And it was just mind-boggling. And it just got to the point where for, for the amount of money I was earning with the reimbursements... And then, of course, Medicare... I, this is going to be a slam on Medicare. I hope you'll forgive me. But they, <laughs> they, come, right. they'd come back and they'd hit me and they'd say, you know what? we think we shouldn't have paid you for that patient that you got 5,000 bucks from us. So we want you to pay us back. And I go, well, no way. Here's, here's where you're wrong. And they go, sorry, oh, <laughs> sue us if you want. So I ended yeah. up paying them. Oh my God. I got so mad. So I, I did the thing I swore I would never do. And I went to cash only. Then I became the PT to the stars so that all these super, super wealthy people who wanted their own physical therapists in their house, but they wanted Medicare to pay for, no, not Medicare, they, they would pay cash. They wanted right. me to come in. So that's how my business evolved. And it was fun, but really um, I have the Providence uh, rules of, of providing care, one of the tenants being uh, the ability to pay should not dictate the quality of care you receive. So, yeah. or the yeah. inability to pay. Yeah. Interesting. And so what, what was your first step then into running for office and serving your community from the more uh, community service or political arena versus um, uh, doing it through uh, uh, physical therapy services? Well, so while I was working and uh, raising a family, there was a new um, committee that was formed by the city of Bellevue called the Bellevue Network on Aging. And I just thought, that sounds like something I would know a lot about since I work in the area and I see all the older adults. And I was really interested in finding ways that the city could help older adults stay engaged and stay independent. 
so I applied to that and I, I got on there as a founding member. I was the youngest member and I was, think I was like 45 or something. And um, I was on there, I became chair and I chaired that for a few years. And then there was an opening on the parks board, which is not really the same thing. So the, um, I won't go into the details, but it was okay. It was, it was okay for me to be on both at the same time because they're totally separate entities. So I became, I got on the parks board, I became chair of the parks board. And then I started seeing some things going on with the current council at that time uh, that I didn't like. And I realized it's because they didn't have the rules to stop them from doing things like that. And, and basically uh, they were trying to prevent a park from going in a wealthy neighborhood and they were loading the planning commission and the parks board with people that would fight it. And so I decided to run for office and change that rule. And you won. And did you did you have a goal of becoming the mayor someday, or did that just kind of uh, evolve over time? Or what, what what was your thought process then about the long term plan? Yeah, no, I am the most unambitious politician, you know. Um, <laughs> but you know, sometimes you think better me than someone else. So yeah, why not? So t- tell us uh, for our listeners again. Uh, you know, fill in. Uh, you you're the mayor of the city of Bellevue which is a very large city, but it's a suburb of Seattle. So just tell us a little bit about what Bellevue is so that those that aren't as familiar with it know what kind of a city uh, you manage. So Bellevue started out um, as farmlands that were developed by Japanese-American farmers. And um, in World War II, so they came in, and it's really almost entirely a wetland. It has some hills but there's a lot of wetlands and they drained all the swamps. They cut down all the trees, leveled the lands and created this amazing environment for farming. And then World War II came and they were all interned and a lot of them were interned and a lot of them um, ended up losing their land, which is really tragic part of our history in Bellevue. Um, The land then became the most perfect developable land in Bellevue. And so we started seeing development happening in Bellevue right after um, World War II. Uh, The city incorporated in 53, I believe, 1953. And it became uh, a very nice bedroom community for people who worked in Seattle. And then um, the council about 15 years ago outlined a part of the middle of Bellevue and said, this is going to be our downtown. And it's hard to believe that downtown Bellevue used to be full of little single family homes. And there's still a couple of them that survive. So um, I don't know how for long, but you can see that this was a a neighborhood, a single family home neighborhood. They drew this line and the, the genius of Bellevue is that they stayed with the plan. And so they never they never uh, deviated from that original plan of carving out this downtown area. So we don't have the sprawl that often you see in other cities. Um, we're we're a population of almost 160,000 individuals, and our our downtown population doubles every day. So we go up to 200,000 individuals. So we're really running a city for 200,000 people, not just 160. 
we passed, we are in the middle of passing a biennium budget of $1.7 billion. We are a big wow. organization. Yeah, absolutely. And how does that rank in the cities of the state of Washington? So there's a Seattle's obviously the biggest. Where does Bellevue fall? In, in so that? we are about, I think, the fifth largest city in the state of Washington, but we generate a tremendous amount of taxes for King County and the state of Washington. Uh, especially for our size. Yes. So, uh, you know, how being the mayor of, of of a city that size, how have the challenges or priorities changed since you've been mayor? Because 2019 has got to be very different than what you're working on in 2020. Yes. I mean, it's changed from when I was elected in 2013, but it's changed mostly just this year. And I would say that if you look at the budget that we'll be passing next week, really excited at how responsive it is and yet still responsible. So we're seeing a lot more uh, community input. We've put in um, very robust community processes to guide us in our decision-making with the environment, with um, our communities of color, um, with the uh, work towards a multicultural center you know, this is all in response to really strong input from the community. Right. And, you know, obviously uh, Bellevue didn't have the amount of protest and activism that Seattle had just across the lake, but you certainly had some and there were some um, things that you really had to deal with uh, that were sensitive that you, uh, I'm sure it was not easy at the time. Well, we did have our... <laughs> Our May 31st, which is kind of like Bellevue's 9-11, it, it was just, I was there, and it was unbelievable to watch that happen to our city. Um, I would say the difference between Seattle and Bellevue is that we had cameras everywhere, and we got pictures of every single person who did that, and we arrested everybody. And so they're in the middle of a major prosecution process. And the word is, if you don't want to be arrested, don't go to Bellevue, because we definitely pursue that. But um, it, was, it was an amazing distinction between innocent protesters who were really protesting against social justice and, uh, or against social injustice and and really making a very strong statement about the need for the community, the county, the state, and the, the whole country to react and, and change policies. Juxtaposed against a group of people who we think were hired, came out of South Seattle, most of them, came very, very well organized with backpacks, earbuds, Molotov cocktails, guns, and had an agenda and were extremely organized. And their whole goal was to incite violence uh, from our police so that they would have an excuse to fight back. And our police department did a miraculous job of um, de-escalating using all the techniques that the country is, is begging police to be able to do. They did that. Um, they did not react violently. They protected the innocent protesters. They let the uh, looters do what they were going to do because we were outnumbered. I have to say at the last minute, we did not get the reinforcements we were expecting to get. So we had to call in the National Guard 
Um, it took them three hours to come, which is pretty fast. You know how they uh, gather themselves and get to places. And once the National Guard came and the looters knew they were outnumbered, they just left. So we didn't have our mall burned down, which was a goal. Nobody was shot. Nobody died. It was a big mess, a big wake-up call. But I have to say, in response, the community response was just overwhelmingly positive in, in just everybody coming together and doing what they could to help our community heal and then demand that we make the change that the initial protests were asking for. And this budget reflects that. And I'm really proud of that. It's been quite a process and it's taken us a while, but good things do take time. That's awesome. I, I do remember uh, watching uh, the news that I think your chief of police uh, went down and actually talked with the protesters and, and had communication with them and then actually marched with them at some point. Uh, is that well, right? I don't know that he marched with them that night, but he definitely came back after our news uh, briefing and um, took a knee with the protesters to show solidarity for what they are asking for. And he has consistently shown support for that, for those um, goals that they, we all share. And it's just, um, you know, it's a process in getting them funded and creating a program that the community feels is adequate to address those needs. And I'm, like I said, um, we did an initial uh, voting in of those amendments and they'll be passed permanently next week. And I'm just really excited at the change coming. So do you feel that the uh, protests or the citizen uprising, so to speak, of during that time uh, did uh, open some eyes and, and get some things changed that maybe um, ha had not been seen before? Do you, do you think it had an effect in that sense? Uh, no, not for us. I don't think the government responded to that. The government responded to the incredible desire expressed by the community in the emails that we received and the phone calls and the conversations that we had. Um, I, I think all that could have happened without having a demonstration. So that's just my opinion. Okay. It may have inspired the community to speak up more, but we had, I had 50% of my emails were, um, you know, pro demonstrators and 50% were anti demonstrators. So there wasn't, you know, I'm not sure the demonstrations actually was the positive catalyst, but the conversation was very positive. Yeah, that's great. How do you think that your uh, PT training and experience as a physical therapist, uh, you know, helped you with your current role today? You know, I think uh, I would encourage people in our profession to always look into leadership roles because we are so trained to look through complex problems and pick out if you were to do one thing of the 15 things that you see wrong with this person, what would it be? And it's very similar to government. You can't fund everything. So you got to, you have to be able to come up with long-term plans. You have to be able to come up with enabling goals. You have to be able to come up with a starting point that's going to make uh, the quickest impact with the least amount of effort. And so all those things are in our training, right? Yeah, absolutely. But you must have thick skin to be in a in political office. I mean, uh, don't half the people hate you all the time. And and how do you how do you balance that reality? You know, when I got all the emails <clears throat> hating me after the protests, 
um, I decided there's nothing I could say in an email that was going to really explain the situation. And it was all this anger and upset. I mean, everybody was having a visceral response, but a lot of it was based on misinformation. So I decided to call each person individually. It took me over a week to make all those calls. Uh, but I would say, except for one person, everybody came around and really appreciated the city's response. So I don't think it's me they hate. I think it's sometimes what they see the city doing or uh, it's what they've heard, information they've heard. I'm, I'm a pretty likable person. <laughs> kind of neutral i'm not yeah. like a big personality or anything i try to stay under the radar so well that's impressive that you made that personal contact with with people like that uh, uh to me it sounds uh brave and and uh and i'm sure it sent a message that uh was really well, positive well here's something i've never thought of before but how many patients have you gone to treat that have gotten so mad at you and just hate you and 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 yet you have still treated them and done a good job with them and for the most part they like you at the end yeah that's that's so true so that's there's so another true. skill set so, exactly so being a mayor uh, seems to me just from looking at it from the outside that you have uh you kind of have to support two groups you've got the the voting public and the constituency that you're, you're dealing with but then you also have the city council members as well so how do you maneuver through that dance, you know, um, trying to be responsive and, and, uh, and make both sides happy? That's a really intriguing question. Um, I, I would probably say that those are actually two separate challenges. I think the challenge is really you have your voting public and then you have the actual problem that you're tra trying to solve. And people don't always understand what you're doing or why you're doing something or what the what the end game is going to be. And you know it. And you know that in the end they're going to be happy. But um, And sometimes you know they're not going to be happy, but it's the best thing for the city. And so the, the, the long-term planning is, is really what you need to do and what you need to carry out. Um, I don't worry a lot about my voters. I think that if you can find somebody who would do my job better than me, then they should be voted in. So I will continue doing this job as long as I do it well. Um, and I, I really do do my best to do a good job. Um, but, in, but there is that other challenge of having a very diverse council and trying to uh, create agreement and good conversation around an issue. And, you know, in a situation where you have two opposite ideas, if they can come together in the middle, that's always the better product. So the challenge is just uh, fostering those conversations and, and being willing to show a very messy process. Like last week, the meeting before last night, two weeks ago, that was just a bunch of messy sausage making. And I don't know that every mayor would have been comfortable having those loose conversations at the table about what the goals were and how to get there. But in doing that and then engaging staff to try to formulate something that would work based on those conversations, we came out with an excellent product. So it is challenging. It's scary because you never know for sure where you're going to end up. But 
hopefully, you know, you've elected smart people that even if they disagree with you are bringing a very important point of view and perspective to the table. Yeah, I think you make a really interesting point there because, uh, you know, everything you read in, in business and leadership is it's good to have diversity and everybody wants diversity. But uh, when you have diversity, of course, you, as you said, it gets messy. There's there's a book that I, I love on leadership called uh, Yes to the Mess. <sighs> And basically what it's saying is it's just, you know, it's going to be messy. It's going to be uh, challenging. But if you stick with it and, and you embrace it, uh, like you said, you do get to a better product because the collective wisdom of the group will always be better than what one person or, or two individuals can come there up with. There you go. I, I would agree with that. So what do you see are the biggest challenges uh, that the city of Bellevue faces today and, and into the next uh, few years? Well, the biggest challenge is our financial problem that every city is facing right now. It's really, really tough. I mean, our oh, my gosh, I just about cry when I talk about this, but our revenues are so down and, you know, all the ways that we count on Oh, funding our city and the programs that make it a great place to live and work and visit, you know, those are all so compromised right now. And yet, at the same time, we have this incredible investment going on in development in our downtown and in our growth areas, which is exactly what we want. So I feel like this is a really tough one or two years. Uh, they project it could be three years, but I think it will be sooner than that. It's just a gut feeling. But, um, you know, the people who are investing in our city believe that there is a really strong future ahead. And they're going full steam ahead, planning for that future just on the same schedule as if we weren't, were not in a pandemic. So, uh, but the challenge, I mean, this budget this year, because we've been such a fiscally conservative council, uh, historically, we have a large amount of reserves and we were able to take those down to kind of the bare minimum, which is still very conservative. But um, I think we maintain 15% at least. And we took it down to that and are able to get through the next year with almost a full budget. There won't be any growth and we've shifted dollars around. But um you know, we're a growing city, so not having growth is a deficit right there, right? But we have put every dollar, every spare dollar we have into our human services and into our, our businesses. And we've made a lot of changes to try to, like, all the, uh, most cities did a, a rent, uh, um, an eviction moratorium. So people who are renting, they don't have to pay their rent for quite some time. But at the end of that, they do. Well, we have so many families in Bellevue who barely can afford to live here that if we did something like that, those families, there's no way they would survive. And they, we'd have this mass exodus of our entire community, or at least half our community. So we decided instead to do rental assistance. And we asked our large employers to join us in that. So we've received contributions from Amazon and Puget Sound Energy and I believe Symmetra and other large employers toward paying people's rent. And it's a month by month goal. It's like running a small business, you know, when you get to the middle of the month and you think, am I going to make it? 
we're all kind of doing that as a city and we're just trying to help people pay their rent each month so that they remain solvent and their landlords do as well. And yeah. And, and how do, and how do you do that as far as, you know, um, I actually grew up in Bellevue, so I'm very familiar with uh, old Bellevue and new Bellevue and, and you live in Bellevue. You're the mayor of Bellevue. It, you know, how do you keep that, a wonderful area from getting so outpriced where only the the you know very wealthy and one percenters can live there how do you keep the communities intact when uh, property uh, prices just continue continue to go up even even during the well, pandemic it doesn't happen without intervention and they say that government is important to make things that should happen happen that don't do it naturally and i think affordable housing is a really good example of that we spent the last three years creating an affordable housing program that we are rapidly implementing right now. And it is all sorts of ways to get that spectrum of affordability put into our housing. Because right now, this is terrible, but only 10% of the housing available in, Be in Bellevue is affordable to a family of four earning $80,000 a year or less, only 10% of all the housing in Bellevue. So, you know, there's a lot of people who really can't afford to live here, who are trying to live here. And if they have an illness or they lose their job or for any reason their salary goes down, there's no other place for them to be. And they have to leave the community. So we really need to have, uh, you know, 120 100%, 80 70 60 and down all those affordabilities and all the different forms of housing that that, that, that um, creates and have the choices. And you'll find that a lot of people who can afford more want a simpler life, and they'll just choose to live in a smaller place. There's a lot of value in having the full spectrum, and you'll get the full spectrum of people living together, which is really ideal. Yeah, and it's an interesting concept because are, are you suggesting then that the goal of, of your administration or the goal of the city is to have that diverse population and to have those different levels of, of income uh, uh, people so that uh, you know, uh, you're know you looking that it's a positive that you have a diverse community as opposed to having a community uh, that's that's very focused kind of on on, on we already aspect. have that community steve um 50 of the people who live in bellevue really can't afford to be here and so it's not just full of people who can easily afford this city and yeah i mean a diverse community is a thriving community and you you look at um areas of the country cities in the country that are super wealthy and and how do they handle all the different challenges of, of an evolving country and an evolving city and they don't handle it very well and um bellevue is 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 continuously changing continuously growing and um and it's those people make really uh, we had a situation where um, we had an older apartment building that was full of um people whose families were earning 30 percent area median income or less 30% of kind of what the average person earns in the area. 
And um, they were, we had two families in one apartment. We had uh, one family where both mother and father were each working two jobs. And so the other people in the complex were raising their children. I mean, it's just like unbelievable. And, and a developer innocently comes along, buys the place and evicts everybody and says, here's 300 bucks. I don't have to give this to you, but I will. It's going to help you get your next apartment, and he's going to tear it down and build townhomes. And uh, there was no place that those people could afford to live outside of where they were. And to make a long story short, there was a big partnership that went on with the state, the county, our city, and King County Housing Authority, and they bought those apartments, and they uh, made them permanently affordable and kept all those tenants in there. And when you got to know who those kids were, most of them were Bellevue School District families. And these kids are like in leadership programs. They're smart kids. They're good kids. And they're the, these are the kind of people you want to keep in your community. They make good neighbors. So we're doing a lot of, I call that housing preservation. That is the kind of the most affordable way to maintain affordability and it's good for the environment too because you don't end up tearing down perfectly good buildings yeah that's impressive good for you congratulations well thank you it wasn't just me (laughs) well i know uh and not uh, along those similar lines you know you have big powerful businesses in your city you've got you know amazon microsoft facebook just to name a few and how do you hold them accountable when you want the jobs and, and you want them to do uh, more for the community. Um, how do you, how do you uh, manage all that? Uh, you know, cause there's, there's obviously they have a lot of leverage and a lot you of, know, we have not had to make that happen. They came to us a few years ago as community partners and asked us, what do you need us to do to help make this community continue to be a great place, even as it grows So we've been having continuing conversations with these large employers and uh, they contribute so much uh, that people don't know about, whether it's to the arts programs or to school programs. I mean, Microsoft has done a tremendous job of providing the technology to the Bellevue School District. Um, Amazon gave a million dollars to our human service fund this year, in addition to other money. They're doing programs where they're working with the housing authority to create affordable housing. Again, by that retention, they're going to be one of the partners in that. Um, Those conversations are ongoing. And I think as the needs evolve, they are there for us willing to partner with us in making it work, not only for them, but for the existing community. So whether that's transportation or arts, or, um, you know, what, whatever human services, whatever the, 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 the major need is at that time that is being impacted by their presence, I, they are, have been very willing to contribute to. So what have you done uh, better, and I know you're probably, I know you're humble enough to where you're not going to say this, but what have you done better than Seattle's done to, um, you know, attract those businesses and, and meet their needs as well as support your community as well? Well, I'm going to answer this in a global way because I think it's interesting. Seattle is very different from Bellevue, and I used to live in Seattle, and I had my babies in Seattle, so I, I love Seattle. 
um, the thing, there's two major differences. One is they have a strong mayor that they elect every four years. We have what's called a weak mayor, which is me, and I'm elected by my council. So I'm no more, my vote is no more important than any other council members, but I work with the agenda and I manage the, the meetings and I am kind of the figurehead for the city. Um, but we have a city manager, so it's considered a city manager form of government. And a city manager, um, on average, stays in their job for 15 years. That's a lot of consistency. And you think about these strong mayors that change on average every four years and basically throw the baby out with the bathwater. They fire the staff. They change directions. In Seattle, you see one mayor put in streetcar lines. The next one tears them out. The next one puts them back in. So that's a kind of a zigzag form of government. It's very expensive. Um, Bellevue has been very consistent. And yeah, we've had major leadership changes, which have changed direction. But in terms of long-range planning, which we do for 30 years out, it stays pretty consistent. The other difference is um, Bellevue council members are all at large. We represent the entire city, each of us. And in Seattle, except for one, they represent districts. So right from the get-go, that's very political. If you want a sidewalk for your district, you need to get my vote. And so uh, the whole conversation uh, is very different in Seattle government than Bellevue government. Yeah, it's very interesting. Do you feel like your administration, um, you know, handled the the pandemic well as as far as it relates to your specific community? And and what would you have done differently if you knew in March what you know now? Okay, this is where I am going to brag, Steve. <laughs> okay, do it. And you could say the same thing about yourself, and probably all the callers could say the same thing. We got it. We understood before everybody else did. We know what Brownian motion is. And from the moment that I got called in on a Saturday to meet with our emergency leaders, we have got to call the nursing homes. If, you know, this is before we knew anything. I just knew something very contagious had happened. And I said, they have protocols in place. And I got outvoted. I was told I was overreacting and that it would just panic people and that there was no need to do that. And then we found out at three o'clock that day what had happened in the Kirkland nursing home. So um, I think Bellevue has responded beautifully. We've had, um, we've been very prudent about wearing masks. We've done everything we can to ensure that our Closed, enclosed facilities have fresh air circulating. We let everybody know that's really, really important. Our mall is all fresh air. So that's great. That air is, you know, switching out all the time. Um, so I would say that I'm really proud of the way our city has responded. I'm really proud that our chamber and our BDA have supported our small businesses. We got them the PPE as fast as we could, distributed it for free. Um, we've, we've created programs that have targeted minority-owned businesses but are for every business to, to give guidance and assistance to help stay in business during this or to get the... Um, the payment protection that people have needed, the paycheck protection. And it's just, it's been really frustrating 
to see the big banks screwing all the small businesses, but we've got a wonderful small bank called Liberty in Bellevue that had a, like a 99% success rate in procuring loans, government loans for all the businesses that applied. So it's, it's a challenge ongoing. Yeah, that's sure a challenge. Do you think that that foresight that you had when you uh, went to your council and said, we need to do this and they thought you were overreacting. Do you think your medical training uh, maybe helped you see that uh, being in that elderly population a little bit more gave you some of insight course. that uh, gave you uh, of ideas? Of course. And, it, and I have to clarify, it was not my council who overruled me. It was our emergency uh, team of the, the top emergency team. It was just me representing the council on that. So what's uh, what's next? You've been mayor for what now? Six years? Um, uh, is that uh, ongoing? Uh, do you have a, a term limit there, or do you want to keep in the position, or, or what's uh, what's your next step? What's uh, what, what's what, what's so? In your I've future? been a council member for almost seven years, and I've been mayor for one. Oh, it's and I've one. got okay. another year. So it's every two years we elect a new mayor. So I have another year, and honestly. <laughs> I give it to everything I have in this last year. I'm, I, I have no idea how any of us are going to have the energy to get through the next year, but um, we will generate it. Hopefully over the holidays, we'll get some respite and come back stronger than ever. But um, I really love local government. I love what I can accomplish locally, but I'm very curious as to what my potential is uh, more regionally. Yeah. So, and as far as the mayor goes, is there a new mayor chosen every two years or could you, uh, could you serve another term? You know, as I said, it's a peer elected. I think I could make it so that I would be mayor again, but I think I'd have um, some people really mad at me. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of people who would like to be mayor and and I think that we should all get a turn. So, yeah, that's interesting. What, so you look back on your career and, and we, we covered it early in this interview. Uh, What advice do you have for new professionals that come out and, and, uh, you know, kind of struggle with that, you know, what am I going to do and what's my end goal and, and where can I go to have this fulfilling, purposeful career? What, what's your advice to them, um, you know, with your experience that you've had? Goodness, I don't know that I have an answer to that. I, I think networking is super important. My whole business idea that I got came from a conversation I had with a massage therapist at a um, continuing ed class I took. So you just never know where you're going to get this little kernel that's going to change your whole life. And I think the more networking you do and the more conversations you have, the better chance you have of finding that path. Yeah. Well, I think, you know what, uh, and it's just, uh, if you, when you see an opportunity, take it. I mean, if I can just look, uh, look at what we talked about today, you know, you had opportunities to, uh, go out on your own and do something different. And then you had an opportunity to enter uh, government in a certain way. And, and you, you, you accepted that opportunity. So you took some risk and, um, you know, sometimes, uh, or often when you take a, a risk, you get reward for that. Well, I'll tell you, here's one thing I've learned. If it scares the bejesus out of you, that doesn't mean it's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. That's, 
That's that's a really good point. So Go outside uh, your comfort zone. So now that you've been in it and you've seen the sausage made, which is government, as you mentioned earlier, uh, what's your what's your hope for humanity and government and democracy? I mean, do you come out uh, uh, more positive than ever, or or do you just kind of scratch your head sometimes and think, what are we doing? What what's your what's your feel about that going forward? You know. Um, First of all, you ask very good questions. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'd like to interview you. <laughs> but uh, I will say that my motivating factor for getting into government was because I really believed that everybody should have an equitable chance for a high quality of life and for success. I mean, they should have that opportunity. That doesn't mean they have to take you up on it. And we're now, so that was something, an idea I had seven years ago, and we're now looking at, you know, all the inequities that are built into our culture and into our systems and realizing that we need to reboot. And if you look at it in the big picture, really the biggest factors for generating equity are education and housing. So the opportunity to get your kid a good education, public education, and the opportunity to live in whatever city you choose to live in and be able to afford it and to have, you know, a, a decent housing is really at, at the root of every of so many other things. I mean, there's a lot of other things that are involved. But again, we talked earlier about looking at the big picture. And if you had to choose one or two things, what would be the first two things? So I think Bellevue's done a really brilliant job of creating an exceptional public education system, but we've done a terrible job of creating the equity in the housing, and that's what I'm working on, and I'm seeing a lot of results. I don't think that we're going to feel the results for five years, five to ten years from now, so it won't be obvious that the work we're doing today was a good idea, but I am convinced that it will make a huge difference, and I am very hopeful and when I look at the great minds that I'm working with, even if we don't agree on everything, everybody's thinking so hard and really trying to do the right thing. I'm very hopeful that we will come to some great decisions together. That's great. And looking at another big bucket, um, do you think um, uh, local government like, like you're in now, does it have any effect on access to health care or any any input on healthcare that can make a difference, or is that more of a, a state and national level issue? Well, the the actual access to healthcare is a state and national thing, but the baseline of healthy living is definitely a local thing. So if you don't have clean water, if you don't have clean air, if you don't have park access to parks and green spaces. If you don't have good public safety, all those things affect your health and require you to have more health care intervention than others might. And Bellevue scores super duper high on population health. And it's not just access to health care, it's healthy living. So um, I think that that's a huge factor in local government that should be uh, examined more. 
and probably also just identifying and having programs related to uh, mental health as well. It's a big part of it, I would think. It is. And yeah, I kind of left out the human services. Access to the support systems is a big part of that as well. So yes. Yeah. Well, uh, usually at this time in the interview, uh, Lynn, I always ask uh, all my uh, uh, guests a, a common question. And that question is, in relation to leadership, what is a pearl of wisdom that you could leave our listeners with today? Uh, uh, leave yourself at home. <laughs> it's not about you. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Lynn, this has uh, been a, a great discussion. Uh, I really admire uh, what you're doing. And as I said earlier, uh, I'm, I'm familiar with Bellevue having uh, grown up there and lived there with my family as well for many years. I don't live there now, but always have a warm spot in my heart for Bellevue. And, um, you know, it's great to see uh, it's still doing well and, and doing the things that uh, you believe in and, and leading the charge. So uh, thank you for your uh, service to, to a great community. And, uh, and I'm proud that you're a Northwestern alum and a physical therapist and the mayor of the city. And uh, man, it's just, uh, it's awesome. So thanks for all you do. Well, Steve, thank you for that. You make me sound so good. Um, I, I just, remember you being an early supporter of mine when I first went out on the campaign trail and you had a party at your house and gave me an opportunity to talk to people. And I just remember thinking, that's incredible. You hardly know me, but you're supporting me. You believe in me. And it's people like you that make great things happen because you can't get anywhere without the support. And, you know, I think of all that you've done for the physical therapy community, and here you are doing this podcast to increase people's knowledge of the issues, and um, you're, you're a true leader, and wow. I appreciate you for including me in this. Thanks so much, Lynn. It's been a pleasure and an honor, and good luck with, uh, with the coming year and the budget and all the things that need to get done. Uh, gosh, it's just uh, trying times, but it, it, it gives me confidence when we have leaders like you uh, at the helm. So keep on doing what you're doing and uh, enjoy the holidays. Thank you. You too. Take care. Take care, Lynn. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. To listen to all my interviews, subscribe to Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and many other popular podcast platforms. Some of these interviews are on video, and you can search YouTube for Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson. You can also access the entire library of interviews on my website, orange.coaching.com, and that is orangetheword.coaching.com, and go to the Media Center and click on Podcasts or Video Gallery. You can also enter the website from pilpodcast.com.